love. <laughs> Spread the love. All right, let's, uh, let's get started. I was telling somebody um, about Wednesday nights yesterday, and I said, you know, it starts at 6.30, uh, but it, most people really don't get here until, well, they get to the building by about 6.25, and then they start to talk, and then, you know, 6.40, we kind of reach capacity. It's like a concert. You don't want to show up too early. The opening is always kind of rough, and so you got to just kind of wait for it to happen. Um, if you want one of these um, depictions of Solomon's, uh, or I mean the temple, Solomon's portico is on that temple map uh, around this time frame, you can grab one there out on the table. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit tonight, and then you can keep it with you for future reference. Um, the reason why I didn't uh, go with another, like with a slide, is because a lot of the slides are so, like the writing is so small, you can't hardly make out what it says. And so I thought this did a really good job of giving you a visual, but also um, letting you know where the, where the interesting stuff is. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll read some text. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this time each and every week, and for your word and your faithfulness. And we just pray, Lord, as we come to you and your word tonight, that you would reveal to us the places of ignorance that exist in our lives and help us to come to an understanding of you uh, by coming to an understanding of each other. And so we just pray that you work through our time, not only uh, as we sit in this big room together, but also in our discussion groups. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, it's a wee bit slick out there, so be careful when you leave. Um, all right, so here we go. Acts chapter 3, and a good portion of Acts chapter 4, as I mentioned last week, we are picking up the pace, so... Uh, now, Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was carried, <clears throat> was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Uh, people of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the peoples and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. 
For the man on whom the signs of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your servant, holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon, your th look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and there they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness all right so we were still in Jerusalem uh, they've received the holy spirit last week we're still in Jerusalem, and now they're in this habit of going to and forth, going up to the temple uh, to participate in the daily rituals of the temple. So Peter and John are headed up there to the temple. Uh, and so if you look at uh, this here temple map, diagram, whichever, however you want to define it, uh, you'll notice that uh, you want it to kind of face this way, because the northern portico would be up there behind us. So for all of you who are um, compassly challenged, north is that way. Uh, so if we're standing in the, in the northern portico, we'd be standing up there on that corner. Um, so the Shoshan Gate would have been to the east, Solomon's portico kind of on the southeast side of uh, the temple area. Now, if you look at that, you say, okay, that's interesting. It covers roughly 10 acres. So it, it, the dimensions are in meters. And so since we're meterly challenged, I did some conversion. Yes. It's like a, a porch area. So there's other better pictures. It would have had columns and it would have been a covered area. Um, but it would have been open to the rest of the area. So people would have passed through there along the outside. Um, yeah, kind of like a front porch, sort of. Kind of like a veranda, a carport, a lanai. Uh, what else is it like? <laughs> it's exactly like a covered space that's open, yet covered and contained to some degree. Like if you've ever been to the Colosseum in Rome, hello, um, you can walk around the bottom of it, and it's covered, but it's open. Um, and so, yeah. If you, there's a plethora of um, Google options to look at, uh, various ren renderings of what it would have looked like from the inside. I thought this just was the best kind of simple uh, visual. So they're entering in um, through, the interesting thing is we don't, the beautiful gate isn't really something that is known, but more than likely it was the Shoshone gate because then they would have gone right kind of 
near the, the portico there. It would have been somewhere in that area. And they see this guy, and this guy is obviously famous. He's been there for 40-plus years. That seems to be the, the picture that we get. Certainly, he, maybe, he probably wasn't carried there when he was a baby. Uh, but he's over 40 years old. We know this. And he's being carried up there because this is the only way that he can receive money. So he's, uh, I think it was Oliver, the movie. You know, he's got the tin can and he's asking for alms for the poor. That's Oliver. Yes, my movie friends out there. Alms for the poor. Sounds familiar. Or was it a, a beautiful life? I'm not sure. One of the two. One of those black and white movies. So he would have been asking, begging for money. And so he sees Peter and John, and he says, hey, I, I need some money. And notice what happens. He doesn't exactly look at them, because if he was looking at them, then in four, Peter wouldn't have said, look at us. But Peter has this thing that we talked a lot about when we were walking through Luke. They look at him, and they see him for who he is, and they ask him to make eye contact with them, because they want to bring about this human connection. So he's not just some guy who needs their money. He's a human being whom God loves. And when they, he asks for money, Peter says, I know you think you want money, but I have got something even better for you than money. Because tomorrow you're going to come back asking for money. And he, boom, instantly heals this guy. I mean, we, some, somebody who did the calculations, wasn't it like 14,000 days? Patty, you did the calculations? It was like an obscene number of days that he would have spent doing this thing and being carried up and laid at the temple gate and then carried back home, certainly. I mean, just imagine what that would be like, this instant transformation in this restoration of his life by Peter and John. And they say, rise and walk. And how do they do it? They say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they take his hand, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Clearly a Baptist wrote this because he was probably dancing. And we can't say dancing. We just say leaping with rhythm. He was leaping with rhythm. But just imagine what this would have been like. You know, Jesus did all these miracles. And so Peter and John, they have this first opportunity where they, they really get to live into this idea of what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be breaking into this world. And, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this imagery of us being satisfied, playing with mud pies, versus having a vacation at the sea. And it just, this instance makes me think about how often is it the case that we reduce God's kingdom into uh, this minor thing, into literally the needs that we have for today. Somebody says, well, isn't that what we're supposed to pray? Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I hear that. But notice we, we set our bar so low. Like, God, if you would just give me this tiny little experience of sustaining my life, then, then that's good enough. 
but Peter and John are starting to show that, that entrance into the kingdom of God and the experience of the kingdom of God is far beyond anything we could ever imagine. I mean, that day, the guy's getting carried up. He's like, I need to get so much money. And his life is fully and completely restored. It's like the moment before and the moment after. You know, later on, he says, repent and turn back, change your life. This guy is like, yes, I had this moment. You know, uh, John makes a joke about the VH1 special. It's like, everything's going great in the band, and then they turn to drugs, okay? This is the opposite of that. This guy's whole life is like sad, and he's at the temple, and he's paralyzed, and then he meets Peter and John. Better yet, he hears the name of Jesus, and boom, he is restored to life. I mean, imagine how incredible that was, and you're passing by, and you're like, what happened to the dude? The dude that's here every single, that's the guy. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? That guy has been fully restored to life. And how is it that he's restored? Well, Peter says later, he says that it was by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And this isn't the only time that we hear about the importance of the name of Jesus in Acts. Because there is such power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power for the restoration of life in the name of Jesus Christ. And we sing the song, you know, I speak Jesus over all these things. And that's just not like a cute song. That's the reality of what is happening when we look at the early church and how it is breaking through. And the disciples are like, this is not about us. This is not about us. This is about Jesus and the continuation of who Jesus is and who or what happens when the name of Jesus is proclaimed and moved forward. Lives are restored and there is great joy and leaping and praising of God and there is this amazement, right? In 10, the whole people, they're filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's like last week when we talked about this concept of awe, and when we have, we've so used this word awesome that it really almost means nothing anymore. A word, if it means everything, it actually means nothing. Uh, and so we're seeing the, the power of the Spirit moving forth, the, the power of the name of Jesus happening and it's bringing about wonder and amazement. And that's why the ponder question for this week, or for last week, uh, was where or when have you been amazed by who God is or what he's been doing? And notice, it doesn't go so well with the powers that be, because uh, he's clinging to them in verse 11, and they go over to the portico called Solomon's. And so, again, that's on the map here. Okay, still facing this way. So if that's where the northern portico in, it would have been kind of over in this area. And they have this conversation and they start talking. Peter gives another speech. One thing that's super interesting for us to do when we, when we look at these speeches is look at how Jesus is referenced. So if you... Um, if you have your own Bible, I mean, you could do it, I guess, with, with one of our Bibles too, but then you're not going to have it with you unless you need a Bible, then you just take it with you. If you would circle with a red, uh, like a red pen or something, 
every time Jesus is identified by either an attribute or a name, you start to see how we, we're understanding who Jesus is, or in fancy terms, uh, Peter's Christology that's being developed here. And so uh, Peter starts telling us or telling the audience who Jesus is. He is uh, the holy and righteous one. He is the servant. He is the author of life. Um, in his name, things happen, okay? So there's all of these uh, identifications of who Jesus is, and we start to see this very uh, broad picture. And we see, again, this uh, challenging concept that we're still wrestling with and trying to figure out um, about Peter acknowledging that the Jews were, were the ones who brought about the death of Jesus, or the actually, let me rephrase that, rewind. The actions of the Jews were the ones, the things that brought about the crucifixion of Jesus. But notice, it's God who's doing the action in verse 7, or 18, that God is foretelling that this is going to happen. So, uh, Nikki and I had just moved to Minneapolis, and we finally had an opportunity to go on a date. And so we loaded up into Goldie, our Dodge Intrepid, beautiful girl. Um, we got it when we first got married. Anyways, uh, and so we're driving downtown Minneapolis. It's like, going to live large on the city. Uh, I, I really hadn't been downtown much. And so it's probably 2006, summer 2006. Hadn't changed our license plates over. Uh, still had number nine for Lawrence County, Spearfish, South Dakota. And she's like, oh, I take, we passed the place where we want to go. And so I take a right, and we're driving down the street. And I'm like, that's weird. It's not even hardly busy on this street. There's like some buses and stuff, but like there's no other cars on this street. This is kind of nice. And so we're driving, and Nikki's looking around, and she's like, where did you turn? I'm like, I don't know. We got to go back around the block. So I just took a right. She's like, oh, no, I think you're on Nicollet Avenue. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be here. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, this is buses and like taxis only. I'm like, ooh, okay, okay. I, I had no idea. So we're ending, we're getting to the end where I can take a right. And wouldn't you know, there is a Minneapolis police officer with his cruiser parked right, right on the next block, standing there looking at me. And he just does this. Why don't you come over here? And I was like, oh, golly. So I pull over, and, and he walks up to my door, and, and all he says is, you're not from around here, are you? And I said, no, sir, I'm not. He's like, well, that's obvious. Um, yeah, you can't drive on that street. I was like, oh, God, what? What kind of downtown has streets that you can't drive on? Minneapolis, that's right. I had no idea. I was completely ignorant of how everything was to work in downtown Minneapolis. Now, whenever we drive down there, it's like, yep, can't turn there. Can't turn there. When was the last time that you were doing something and you came to this realization of like, oh, yeah, wow. Um, really shouldn't be doing that thing. It's not that I knew that I shouldn't be doing that thing because that's a different conversation, but... Literally, I had no idea that I wasn't supposed to be doing that thing. I was completely ignorant of 
the fact that this behavior was a bad idea. And it brings about um, one of the hardest three-word phrases in its... Babel does, has nothing on the ability to learn this phrase, in particular uh, for men. And just try it with me. It's a three-word phrase, super complex, and it's going to be hard to even come out of our mouths, but never to be spoken. And it's, I was wrong. Oh, God. Oh, uh. What? Happy days? He said that? Oh, he couldn't say it. Okay. So Peter says to the Jews, he comes to them with compassion and he says, I know, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't fully understand what was happening. And so that's where we come to this place where we can read his description that they killed Jesus. But notice it's almost always couched with this compassionate heart to say, and you didn't fully understand what you were doing. And the ignorance defense only happens once, right? Like you only don't know one time, and then once you know, you know. And then he also wants to remind them that this was God's plan from the very beginning. And he spoke it through the mouths of the prophets that Christ would suffer and so that it would be fulfilled. And it was all so that they would repent and turn back and that their sins would be forgiven and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so we see this very interesting cycle. So the, the Jews have acted in ignorance, and Peter is saying, you can be ignorant no more. This is who Jesus is. Now, now that you know, repent, turn, go back the other way, and realize that it's not just about your sins being forgiven, because we often stop there. It's this super abundance that we talked about in Luke, that God provides this super abundance in the kingdom of God. You know, when we feed the 5,000 and we have all these extra things, it's the superabundance that God brings about in his kingdom because so often is it the case that we stop at 19. Like 19 is the end, and, and we are so trained to allow the verses to dictate how we read Scripture, uh, and so we, we want to move beyond that. Because, right, what do we care about? Who is Jesus? Repent, turn, sins are forgiven, period, full stop. That's, that's all that matters, right? But that's not the end of the sentence for Peter. Because when that happens, what it follows after? A time of refreshing. And what does refreshing look like? It looks like the presence of the Lord in the midst of the people. And so I want us to continue to, to open and expand our minds around what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, to experience the kingdom of God. And it's not just about our sins are forgiven and now we can sleep easy at night because if the guillotine falls on our head like at the end of a thief in the night, we know where we're going to be. That, yes, that is true, but it is so much more than that. 
And so when we talk to people about the kingdom of God, it's so often, where are you going to go if you die tonight? And, and Peter's like, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. But what are you going to experience in the here and the now and in the future when the kingdom of God breaks into your life? It's going to look like, yes, forgiveness, repentance, and refreshment. I mean, this word refreshment, right? Like what... When, when you hear the word refreshment, you have this interesting onomatopoeia that's happening, right? You English people. What do you think refreshment? What are you hearing? Yes. You hear that Coke, right? Just, yes. When we used to mow, when we used to mow lawns, uh, the people used to, one particular lady, she would give us, <laughs> she'd give us Diet Mountain Dew, uh, and it wasn't like good Diet Mountain Dew like today. It was like 1990s Mountain Diet Mountain Dew. You're like, why does anyone even buy this stuff? But you were so hot and so sweaty, and you were in the old 1969 Ford pickup full of grass, and you're just like, crack open that thing because refreshment is coming. But actually, it wasn't refreshment because pop doesn't actually bring about refreshment. It brings about pseudo-refreshment. That's a different discussion for a different time. The kingdom of God brings about refreshment. And what else does it bring about? It brings about the restoration of this person, this individual. And so he goes on and he talks about who Jesus is, that Christ had been appointed for them, that they might receive this time for what? Restoration, restoring all the things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. And then he goes on and talks about Moses and Moses declaring who Jesus is. And then we uh, move into 25. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It's this covenant that God makes to Abraham. And notice this, these words are going to keep coming back in various other speeches. Uh, and what happens? Well, first of all, the powers that be are very disgruntled. Because these guys are coming into their turf and talking about things that they obviously are not interested in hearing about. They are the ones who have brought about the demise of Jesus, and they don't want this to happen because the people, I mean, imagine that, um, you know, on a Sunday morning, just imagine this, we're uh, first service, um, it comes time for the sermon, and, and you kind of look through the window, and there's like half the people are standing out there, you're like, what's happening out there? Like, somebody's talking. Well, who's talking? Don't know. Some random guy. And he's got everyone's attention. It kind of is unsettling a little bit. I think John would probably be like, let's go find out who this guy is. <laughs> he probably has some interesting things to say. But these guys aren't as gracious as John is. And they are, they're like, we have a problem. And they want to do something about it. But what happens Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of individuals came to about 5,000. 5,000. Like last week, we're at 3,000. Now we're at 5,000. And so what do you do when somebody brings about the restoration of 5,000 people uh, to faith in God and into the kingdom of God? You arrest them, and you bring them to trial. And so they go before trial. And 
they, what, is, what is the biggest problem that they have because they have experienced this uh, healing and they don't know uh, what has happened. So what is their question? What power or by what name did you do this? So how in the world did this happen? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is a phrase that causes us to have some interesting thoughts. And, it, and I mentioned it, like the whole theology of the Holy Spirit that I've seemingly felt like I had well-established in my brain. The more I read through Acts, the more it's just kind of getting shifted or sloshed around a little bit. Because was not Peter filled with the Holy Spirit before? Like the whole tongues thing? So like, why is he being filled again with the Holy Spirit here? And is this a semantic thing? Is this just a declaration of the Holy Spirit has come upon Peter in this way? Is it the case that, uh, you know, in essence, Peter had experienced some of the Holy Spirit and he was pouring it out, and so now he needs a refill because his cup is maybe diminished a little bit, and so the Holy Spirit fills his cup back up? All of these questions, because then in the end of this chapter, or the end of this section today, they're filled with the Holy Spirit again, and we're like, why does the Holy Spirit have to keep refilling? Great question. I would like to know that. Is it the case that sometimes we just need uh, to ask for a refill? And then he goes into this speech, and he talks about what has happened. By what means, in verse 9, this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel, how has this man been healed? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Again, the power that exists in the name of Jesus is moving in a mighty way early on in Acts, and it's going to come back again. We're going to have this instance where these demon, uh, the demons won't be cast out. They're like, Jesus, we know, and all of these things, but we don't recognize you. And it makes us ask the question, when when we are using the name of Jesus Christ, how are we using it? And do we really understand or fully appreciate or believe that it has the power that it has? Does the name of Jesus have the power to us to bring about the restoration of life? And I know John talked about it a few weeks ago on Sunday morning about how uh, we people can so callously or casually use the name of Jesus as if it's uh, just an exclamation for use at any particular time. In particular, I think he said, when uh, thumb becomes between hammer and nail. But seriously, how do we view the name of Jesus Christ? And do we fully believe, as Peter is experiencing and is articulating that in the name of Jesus, there is power for healing and restoration of life? Or is it the case that we take the power that is in the name of Jesus and in essence, we leave it on the shelf? And that's why when we talk about praying, we pray in the name of Jesus. And I can remember uh, early on in high, or in high school, there, there, was, there was kind of this 
I know we've talked about this before, uh, so some of you are like, we've talked about this before, so I just own that. Um, the whole uh, Dawson McAllister radio call-in show, and I became kind of moderately obsessed, which I don't get moderately obsessed with anything. I was fully obsessed to just acknowledge that. Um, with spiritual warfare and reading about demons and all these things, and just remembering so deeply in my brain and in myself that when, when you encounter a demon, all you have to speak is the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the power that is in the name of Jesus, it's, it's something that I don't think we fully acknowledge and Peter is trying to articulate that it is not by their power, it is by the power of of Jesus. And then he goes on to develop his Christology even a little further. Jesus is the stone that was rejected. He is the cornerstone. There is salvation. He is the sole source of salvation. He is the name under heaven given among men which you must be saved by. And so he's giving this testimony of what he has experienced, what he has witnessed in Jesus, the power that he's experienced in Jesus, and the importance of Jesus to the powers that be. And he spoke with great boldness, verse 13. And notice again, and I know I made this comment last week, and I really, I really meant no shame by it. I meant no harm by it. And, and I'm just praying that it was a coincidence that our friends from Teen Challenge aren't here tonight, and it wasn't because my back is comment. Just praying that. I did ask for forgiveness afterwards. There is this perception that these people, these men, are uneducated. They're common men. How in the world could God be working through these people? And yet he's working through these people. And they're like, we can't deny it because we've experienced it and witnessed with our, with our own eyes. And so they're like, okay, you guys uh, need to leave. You, you guys need to get out of here, and you need to stop speaking the name of Jesus. And in verse 20, well, 19, Peter says, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What is it that they've been called to testify to? Or what is it that Jesus tells them to be? Witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They say what they have seen and heard. They are fulfilling what God has called them to do right out of the gate in Acts. And it's going quite swimmingly, other than the fact that they've just been kind of reprimanded and are on their pathway to being arrested time and time again. Other than that, it's going really well. And so they further threatened them. They have no way to punish them. And they're like, this has happened. So we can, we can come to this place and we can um, encounter this because what happens here is we hear these words about the filling of the Holy Spirit and boldness, and then they go back and they report to their friends and they pray that boldness, um, in verse 31, that boldness would come upon them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can have this tendency to say, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. We need to speak with boldness, and we just need to speak the truth, and it doesn't matter what happens to us. 
Uh, and, if, and, and frankly, if something negative happens to us, that's a sign that, that we're doing what we're supposed to do. See, something negative happened to them, and so everything is, if, if I am speaking boldly about who Jesus is and something negative happens to me, I'm in the right place. The challenge is, um, as our friend Taylor Swift, or Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, depending on where you land on this controversy, says, we can be casually cruel in the name of being honest. Or as Adam Grant says, just because you're speaking the truth doesn't give you license to be a jerk. <laughs> that was a paraphrase of Grant, direct quote of Taylor. We can be led into believing that to speak boldly means I have complete and utter permission to say whatever needs to be said in whatever tone needs to be said in whatever atmosphere or setting needs to be said because that's what it means to speak boldly about who God is. And that's not exactly the case. Because we can be very rude and mean and say, well, I'm just saying the truth. And what is happening here is a very unique set of circumstances and so they are on trial before the powers that be, and they are defending themselves boldly, and their boldness is because they are not afraid of what is going to happen uh, to them from the powers that be. When we are in a uh, personal setting with our friends who may not know Jesus, we can be bold, but we don't have to be mean. We can be bold and we can be so incredibly kind and gracious and tell about who Jesus is because we can share about what we've experienced. Likewise, when we have friends uh, of, in the faith who are doing things that, they, that we know they are not to be doing, we can be bold to them in a way where we don't fracture the relationship. We actually grow the relationship. Because when somebody can say, you know, Eric, that's not really, I think, a good look. That behavior or that posture or that, the way that you said that. Or, you know, when you said that, I'm not sure you want to say it that way. And that takes boldness. When somebody asks a question in here, that takes boldness because so often we have these uh, barriers to boldness. We could start a list. Like, when was the last time you're like, all right, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something in this instance. And then the instance happens and we're like, hard stop. Hard stop. And so... We can have these conversations about what boldness looks like, and boldness doesn't mean uh, completely running roughshod over other people. Because, again, what is it that Peter is testifying to? What has Peter experienced? Grace. I mean, who is Peter? He's the guy at the end who is completely devastated by walking away from Jesus, denying Jesus three times. He's the guy who's like constantly screwing up. 
He knows what it looks like to make mistakes and to be brought back into right relationship. And so when we talk about this idea of boldness, we can easily take it to one extreme and say that boldness is uh, being a jerk, what well, looks like being a jerk in a lot of situations. Or we can move to the other side of the extreme and say, you know, um, so I don't want to be that person, so I'm not going to say anything. So there is a fine line between passivity and uh, being a jerk. <laughs> and so we see this, this prayer for the work of the Holy Spirit to move in the midst, to articulate exactly what needs to be said in the moment that it needs to be said, with the posture that it needs to be said, in order that the, the relationship is healthier and stronger as a result of the exchange. Because, yes, what happens to Peter and John? What happens? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing happens. Finding no way to punish them, they are set free. And what do they do? They go back, verse 23, they go back and they reported what happened. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and God said to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, excuse me, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, David is the Holy Spirit's working in the Old Testament. And so then it, then it goes forward. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through what? The name of Jesus. And when they, they had all prayed together, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, imagine that, that we've been talking about prayer every single week. What happens when the people of God gather together and pray? What happens here? The earth moves under their feet. I mean, like, we think about, like, oh, we're just going to have this quiet little prayer gathering. Do we ever think about when we gather and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come together in this place and we lift up the name of Jesus, that literally there is a cosmic shift that is happening? Do we think about prayer in that way? If we did, I think some things might start to change. If we really believe that in the name of Jesus, we can bring about the restoration of people's lives when we gather together and pray, believing that the power of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus that happened in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 3 and throughout the Gospels is still alive and active today when his people are gathered together and praying together. Not just like, oh, yeah. See, there was like, that was like pseudo clap. It's like, no, bold clap. Yes, exactly. That's what's happening. 
And, and the early church is praying that as they move out, that they would not move in timidity, but they would move in boldness. Is that our prayer? Is that our prayer when we go to work in the morning? Like, all right, God, move in power and boldness in me today. Is that our prayer when we gather together? God, that you would move in us in a mighty and powerful way that we would literally feel the ground underneath our feet shaking. Is our prayer when we gather together, in particular, like, you know, on a Sunday morning, what if this was our prayer on, on Saturday night or Sunday morning when we woke up, or maybe both, God, I pray that you would give me the boldness to walk up to one other person and introduce myself to them and meet someone new. People are like, ah, yeah, not, the Spirit hasn't quite moved on that one yet. What if? Because it takes boldness to go up to somebody and say, I don't know you, but I should know you. Can we get to know each other? Because that is what is happening when we see the movement of the Spirit among people. 5,000 people. I mean, just imagine what is, that is like. It's just like amazing. And we don't even have to go off to some big crusade. We can simply pray that the boldness of God would be in us as we walk up to somebody. And you're like, what if it's awkward? It's going to be awkward. Yes, it is. I know it is. It's okay. Many things are awkward. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead, can allow us to walk up with boldness and say, Hi, my name is whatever. The great news is they probably have a name tag, so you don't even have to ask them their name. Surprise. All right, you can go to your groups.